Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today on the holy day of Lag Baomer has uh, a few sponsors. So bear with us while we read the beautiful sponsorships for this special day. It's dedicated in loving memory of Jack Nazira. It's leftover because why I missed one. On his ask, it was for his askaras. We see we don't we don't we don't miss. We don't miss a beat. Sponsored by the Ajmi family, Hazaku Baruch, Atesh Matot Surah Haim. As well, dedicated loving memory of Maurice Morris, Hadeya Alava Shalom, Lunishmat Moshe Ben Bahiyeh, sponsored anonymously. As well, in loving memory, Lunishmat Rabbi Al Hanan Ariyale Ben Yitzchak, Alava Shalom, for his 23rd Yort site this week. May his Nishama have an Aliyah be Melitz Hashem for all of us. Sponsored by his wife, Rivka Shwedel. Nehama Bezat Hashem Berachah and Simachot for the entire family. As well, dedicated in loving memory of Sandy Shohat's mother, Daisy Ezer, uh, sponsored anonymously. And as well, uh, dedicated for successful surgery and for the Fuashimav Eliyahu Ben Yvette, sponsored anonymously. Um, and as well, sponsored by Miriam Isakashvili, dedicated in honor of Ronnie Fried for introducing me to Rabbi Fari Shiurim. It is because of you, my family's Shabbat Torah, always full of Dere Torah. May the Zichud of those precious minutes of Torah spill over onto you and your family, Admi Ave Magnificent, what a special beracha. Sponsored by Stephen Galapo, dedicated in honor of his, uh, of his loving parents, Albert and Shirley Galapo, Hazako Baruch. And as well, uh, dedicated in celebration of the Hilula Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, on the occasion of his Hilula, sponsored by Annette and Gabriel Amos. And finally, last but not least, Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Natalie and Michael Dweck, dedicated in honor of the Hatan and Kala, Isaac Antar, and Norma Shabbat, who are getting married tonight. Mazal Tov. And Mabruk, congratulations, he's not here. If he was here and he ate, uh, and he ate bagels, he might not fit in his suit. Okay, But uh, we're hoping he'll be here tomorrow and all future days of the uh, seven days so that we grab every Yehishem off of him. Because a day of Yehishem is a holiday only because the fact that they got to say Yehishem in the Beit Knesset. Everyone else thinks you say Yehishem on a holiday, but in a, a, a SY synagogue, if they say Yehishem, it is a holiday. Okay, fine. Let's, let's uh, get ready. Sorry? We might need Yehishem. We might need Yehishem. I think we definitely need Anna, but. Uh, inshallah, we should have many days uh, where we don't need Anna, and, uh, and we have uh, beautiful, clean days with us. As well, we have a long-time listener, first-time attender with us in our ranks today. We want to welcome Sam to the first breakfast in the class live. Hazako Baruch. Okay, let us begin on our journey. Um, today is the day of the Hilula of uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And one of the things which is so interesting about this, we mentioned upstairs, is that uh, if we did not say Tahanun on every other day, of uh, the Pitirav Sadiq, we would never say Tahanun ever. There's always someone that passed away who was very righteous, right? So wh- when would you ever say Tahanun? It would never, would never occur. So why is it that specifically on Nagba Omer we have this Minhag? So I want to just delve into one of the understandings and one of the reasons for this. And one of the reasons is they say is that uh, he, Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, who lost so many students, 24,000 students, and they, uh, they stopped dying on Lagba Omer, right? So on this day is the day when he instituted and he gave smicha to his five new students. One of his students, by the way, was Rabbi Shimon. Uh, you know, so you have many different uh, uh, angles where these, these two, these tragedies are connected. 
But on the, on the plus side, I want to talk a little bit about this incredible moment of Rabbi Akiva. Now the pre-Chadash asks a very famous question. His question is, you know, it sounds like a funny thing to do, to celebrate the fact that people stopped to die. You know, you celebrate someone got, you know, was born. You celebrate a birthday, an achievement. You know, you're celebrating the fact that the last people died on this day. They st- last stopped dying because there was no more for them to die. So imagine, a, you know, what's it called? Badminton, a plague takes a city, wipes out the whole city. On the final day where the last guy in the city dies, holiday! Nobody's dying anymore. Nobody's dying anymore because nobody's alive anymore. So what's the celebration of the fact uh, that the students of Rabbi Akiva passed away? And one of the most powerful concepts that Prichadash explains is the idea that it's not so much that they stopped dying as much as the fact that although Rabbi Akiva had suffered the loss of so many of his dear students, he was able to begin again. You know, you have some people, they get hit so hard. They were on top of the world. They owned the most incredible company. And then what happened? Something changed. And their company went belly up. Their brand name, which was once on every shelf in every store, is now defunct. It's nothing. Slowly but surely, you look at a guy like this and you tell him, you know, start again. You have everything in you to be able to succeed. You know you've done this once. You know how to call suppliers. You know how to sell a product. So your old product, maybe there was a problem with your old product. Get some new product. Use all the skills and the talents that you have that you used to be able to build it up the first time. You know everything's there. Start again. Some people, they don't have, like we say in Arabic, there's some words in Arabic you just can't translate. Uwe. Uwe. You know the, the strength, but it's... It's such a great word, just the phonetically, the way it says. You don't have the, the, the oomph, the strength, the power to be able to start something again. But what does Rabbi Akiva do? He starts again with five students. These five students eventually light up the entire world. They bring Torah back to the Jewish people. They are quoted almost on every page of the Gemara in every Masechet. It's wild to think that all of that happens because Rabbi Akiva, who could have said, Hadji, I'm retiring. You know what? I'm just going to go write books. Just to give you an understanding of the, the depth of sorrow and of mourning that Rabbi Akiva went through. You know, you're talking about 24,000 students. And how many days did they pass away? We said 33. Do the math. Divide 24,000 by 33. He's going to 800 funerals a day. Could you imagine the shiva calls? The broken-hearted mothers that Rabbi Akiva is visiting. You know how sore he was from digging graves. It's just, it, it's impossible to fathom that, that number. Until Rabbi Akiva stood up again and he rebuilt. Which gives such a flavor and a meaning to the words of Rabbi Akiva, where Rabbi Akiva says in another place, right, that a person should work their whole life, and in the evening, don't lay your hand down. Don't stop working. And what is the Rabbi Akiva Doresh on the Pasuk? He says, you learn Torah when you were young, learn Torah when you're old. You got married when you were young, your wife passed away, but Minan. Get married again when you're old. 
Yeah, you had students when you were young. Have students when you're old. Who's Rabbi Akiva talking to? Where is he talking from? Himself, his own experience. My friends, perhaps one of the most powerful things about Lagba Omer is the idea that a person where they don't think there's any strength left, they don't think there's any uwe left in the tank, they recognize that it's a fallacy and it's a fraud and it's a, a mask that the Yetzer Hara is putting on their perspective. You know, one of the great teachings of Rav Nachman of Breslov, you know, was a very powerful idea. He said that perhaps the strongest Yetzer Hara in the world is the Yetzer Hara of depression. Now, that's an interesting expression. I want to I take that apart for a second. Because obviously we're not talking about a scenario where a person is clinically depressed. You know, they're in a state of mind where you know, they, they, they need medication, they need therapies, they need, you know, they're falling apart, There's chemical, you know, they're chemically imbalanced, whatever the case might be. They're suffering from, I don't know, multiple personalities, schizophrenia, you know, uh, disassociative disorders, etc., etc., where the person is literally, I'm not, we're not talking about that. But my friends, there's a long road from a healthy person to reach those places. And sometimes you pass through a couple stops on the way where if the mental health is not allowed to deteriorate to the point where it now needs a tremendous intervention, in those early stages, a person can step up and flex and say no. And at that stage, when a person is in those initial stages of negativity, of cynicism, of some mild form of depression, says of Nachman of Breslov, that's not, that is the Yetzer Hara. And it's not your fault that you feel that way. But if you recognize that that is not you, then you're in a very different place to be able to battle back. Rabbi Akiva had suffered such loss in his, in his life. And yet he said, it doesn't matter. That was what was, but I know I have more in me. And I don't have, maybe have, I don't even have, and I, I love this lesson. It's not that he goes out and gets another 24,000 students. He gets five. You know, you can't build a company? Fine, build a store. You can't build a store? Fine. Manage a shelf. You know, get one of those, you know, little plastic shelves that they sell in Dwayne Reed, that they rent out in Walmart to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, uh, to, to unique sellers, and you stock those four shelves. You can't stock four shelves, sell one product on the street in the subway. Do one thing, one small thing. A person needs to take control of their life. And that starts with a person recognizing that I have in me something that is hidden. I love the fact that on the day that we celebrate, the day that we talk about Rabbi Akiva and his resilience, we also mention and talk about the power, the secret power of the hidden Torah of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. That means that just like in Torah, there's a revealed Torah that is evident to everybody, and there's a hidden Torah that it requires a tremendous Tamid Chacham to be able to unearth, to be able to pull out with unbelievable focus. 
You know, most of the revelations of Kabbalah happened to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son Rabbi Elazar while they're in the cave. There's no distractions. They don't have to choose on a menu, you know, which salad they want and which salad dressing they want on that salad. They don't have to choose which clothing. Some of the great and most productive people in the world have decided a long time ago that they will never choose their own clothes in the morning. They either buy only shirts that go with all of their pants. So whatever shirt they grab, and whatever pants they grab, it works. But they've decided they don't want to spend time worrying, thinking about, occupying brain cells over silly decisions. So my friends, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is in a cave. There's no food choices. There's no clothes choices. They have one article of clothing. And in order that their clothing should not be ruined, they would bury themselves up to their necks in the earth, and that's how they would study Torah. And then when it would come time to pray, they'd come out, they would get dressed in honor of the prayer, and then put their clothes back. Right? The food they're eating every day, carobs. There's nowhere to go, you know? Sometimes a person, you're somewhere, your soul, you're the wanderlust bites, you start thinking, where should I go on vacation? Where are we going this year? Where were... Wait, 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 what's happening, uh, you know, spring break? What's happening, yeshiva week? What's happening, winter break? What's happening, you know, et cetera, et cetera, over the new year? So you check out of where you are. There's many things that can cause us to check out from where we are, from our own life's scenarios. Those are distractions. Once Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai had eliminated all the distractions, there was nowhere for them to go. The Romans would have been hunting them on the streets. So they were where they needed to be. They were wearing what they needed to wear. They were eating what they needed to eat. What could they focus on? Wholeheartedly, with no distractions of Torah. He was able to understand layers in Torah that previously had not been commonplace. And on the final day of his life, he gathers his students around and he teaches them all these wondrous teachings. And they're writing and writing and writing and writing and writing as fast as he can to get all this Torah down on paper, so to speak, before Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai passes away. And what it means to me is that all that Torah was there all along. It was right under the surface. But it took someone to come and show it to you. And then once you've seen uh, the elements, the Sitre Torah, on any level, you know, you start to realize you know, you read this Torah as a, as a fairy tale book with all these stories like, uh, like fables from Aesop, right? So then that's how you treat them. But the first time you really learn deeply the story of Adam and Chava, the story of Abraham and Sarah, of this Mechirat Yosef, of, uh, of the war with Shechem, you learn very deeply. It teaches you, oh my gosh, I need to go back now and see everything again. On the day that Rabbi Akiva discovered reservoirs of faith, of resilience, of power, of energy within him, that's the day when his student actually communicates the hidden secrets of Torah as well. So my friends, I want to ask the question to each and every one of you. Our rabbis tell us that the word Yisrael stands for Yesh, Shishim, Ribo, Otiot, La Torah, Yisrael. Yesh, Shishim, Ribo, Otiot, Torah. There are 600,000, six, right? Shesh, uh, um, 
Yeshim Ribo, 60 ten thousands, so 600,000 letters in the Torah. Those 600,000, says the Zohar, represent the souls, the core souls of all of the Jewish people. The 600,000 that left Egypt. Those numbered souls, if you will. They represent the core neshamot. All the neshamot of Am Yisrael from then on are represented by those 600,000. That means that there are, there's a fragment of that neshama, a spark from that neshama, a gilgul, a rehabilitation, a, a reincarnation of that neshama, but there's an association with one of those neshamot, which to me always says, uh, speaks very loudly on the night of the Seder when we say that every person has to imagine themselves as if they themselves left Egypt. And the answer is yes, because you did. Your soul was there. It did leave Mishraim. However, my friends, what we learn from this idea, Torah, is that each letter in the Torah, whether it's the black spaces or the white spaces of the letters, the forms that are made in the cavity, if you will, of the letters or the black letters themselves, in those 600,000 shapes, they represent the souls of every Jew. That means that every Jew is themselves a part of the Torah. And there's a revealed self that anyone could see if you opened up the scroll and you just glanced at it. And then there's a much deeper self. A self that needs to be nurtured, that needs to be recognized, that needs to be realized. And until someone realizes it, sees it, uh, expresses it, it could lie dormant. And the challenge I always feel as a rabbi when you're learning with someone or when you're complimenting someone, and you say something to them and they say, oh really, I I never heard that before. Thank you so much. That means that if you'd not said something, the person could have lived their whole life and died and not recognized there's an entire dimension of self that they have never touched, that they've never experienced. In the evening, in the eve of your life, you're never too old. You're never too old to start. You're never too old to change. You're never too old to rebuild. That's the power of the resilience of, uh, of, the, of the, the, the new students of Rabbi Akiva. And I think that there's something here maybe even more powerful. And that is that although Rabbi Akiva himself is tortured to his death, although Rabbi Akiva has 24,000 of his students die, there's something that lives on from Rabbi Akiva. And all of that happens because on the day that everyone stopped dying, Rabbi Akiva said, no, I'm not done. Now, this is not primarily a class which only applies to people who are in the sunset of their life. It applies to every single person who feels that they're at the end of the rope of what they can accomplish. That's the Erev. That's the evening. It's the nighttime with regards to your achievements, with regards to your accomplishments in the, in the world of Torah, in the world of, uh, of mitzvot, in the world of business, in any achievement that you want to achieve. If you think, okay, that's it. That's as much as I could do. Think again. Because the secret you has not yet even come to the party. The parts of yourself that are hiding beneath the surface are not yet even at the party. 
Where do we find this idea manifest, not just in the writings of the Torah, but in the everyday uh, concepts of, uh, of, of our world? I always love to point this out. Anytime you see a moment of, uh, of tragedy, an emergency, suddenly in these crazy emergencies, wild stories emerge about a person runs back into a burning building you know, because they realize that there's another child in the building. Someone who runs into the street, throws, you know, lays themselves out in a full-on body dive and, you know, gets some elderly lady out of the way of being run over by a bus. You know, stories of people lifting cars to be able to get someone who's trapped underneath. Acts of superhuman strength. And what was it, actually? If you ask them afterwards... How did you possibly, how could you possibly? And you know what they say? What do you mean? It seems simple to them. And they always say the same thing. And what they say is, anyone would have done that. You don't know. In that minute, I saw the kid. I saw the fire. Anyone would have done that. And they're not being falsely humble. They are right. So if you ask yourself, before you're in a difficult situation, how you would act in that difficult situation. You would undersell your possible responses. But when a person has their back against the wall, and all of a sudden, all of their inner systems are activated, their brain lights up, they become super focused. People relate in times of emergency that time literally slows down. Things happen when you're in a car, you're about to get in an accident, the car's swerving lanes. It's almost as if time slows down and you're acting, you're living, you're experiencing in slow motions. That's why they do that in the movies, to replicate that feeling. The person becomes hyper aware. You shift into another gear. But sometimes it takes a crisis. It takes a shivron, a, a break, a difficulty to be able to see that about yourself. You know, God forbid, but you see it many times when uh, one parent passes away in a family, and then all of a sudden this other parent who was barely managing on their own, you know, with the other parent, they were barely managing work, they barely saw their kids. Now they're the only parent. So now they spend unbelievable quality time with their kids. They're there to send the kids every day. They put the kids to bed every night. And they put in the full day's work. And they're not making less money because they can't. Because they only have one income. So suddenly when you have no option, something emerges. Something that was hidden. This secret Torah of Rabbi Shimon, this secret resilience of Rabbi Akiva, each and every one of us have it in us. But it's almost like we say, Baruch Hashem, we haven't had the need to be able to have that emerge. Baruch Hashem, we've not suffered. Baruch Hashem, we've not experienced, you know. It's wild. You know, in Israel, every 17, 18-year-old boy and girl, they're drafted into the army. You, know, you look at an 18-year-old here, they're a, they're a child, they're immature, they're babies. You know, in Israel, what happens? You have no choice, so you grow up. 
You have no choice. So overnight, this immature kid who yesterday was only thinking about girls and running around and a car and, you know, and what kind of seats covers he wants to put in his car. The next day, he's running into a building, you know, saving kids and shooting terrorists. How'd that happen? You know what happened? Because you had no choice. We don't ask God for Yisurim. We don't ask God for Nisyonot, for tests. But the other side of every Nes, of every Nisayon, of every test, is a Nes, a miracle. Because as you're being tested, and you see your response to that test, you look at this and you say to yourself, this is a miracle. And the answer is, my friends, it's not a miracle. You're the miracle. Better said, it's not that it's not a miracle. It is a miracle, but the miracle is not what just happened. The miracle was planted in you so long ago. It's just you never dusted it off. It's sitting in the box in your basement. So when will we bring the fullest versions of ourselves to the game? When does that happen? For some people, it's only when time slows down in a crisis. But you know what? You don't have to wait for the crisis to pull out the miracle. If you recognize it, if you see it, if you understand this truth, then you can pull it out today. Because you learned from your own previous responses what you've got in you. You learned from the way you see your friends and neighbors and coworkers dealing with their crises. 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 And through that process, you recognize that I need to go down deep into my own basement and find my own box. Hashem should bless us, Be'ezrat Hashem, to be Zocheh, to be our ultimate selves uh, in the Zechut of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai on Davis Hilulah and the Zechut of Rabbi Akiva and his unending drive for greatness to push himself harder and more and further. Uh, we should be Zochebe Zat Hashem to see such progress as well in our own lives. Baruch Hanayi Le'olam.